Backchat. 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 Politics and current affairs. Backpack. Backchat. Backchat. Your alternative to talk back. Yes, indeed. You are listening to Backchat here on FBI Radio, your freshest wrap of news and current affairs. I'm Swetha Das. And I'm Eden Faithful, stepping in for Shami today. As always, we're going to give you the news you haven't heard on your airwaves this week. First up, we have Imogen Todd from Illawarra Women's Health Centre discussing abortion access in regional New South Wales during COVID. After that, we're joined by solicitor Samantha Lee from Redfern Legal Centre about the over-policing of Aboriginal and migrant populations in Sydney during the pandemic. Lastly, we're going to end on a bit of a bittersweet note uh, because this is Swether and I's very last show. Mm. We've been in the Backchat fam for three years now and handing over to an incredible new team. And to celebrate our time here, I've written up a little quiz to commemorate all the highlights. <laughs> oh, I'm worried. Oh, get ready. <laughs> That's coming up soon. Um, but if you want to join in on the conversation, text us in on 0409-945-945 or tweet us at BackchatFBI. It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. Back chat, your alternative to talk back. People with uteruses across Australia are all too often forced to fly to a completely different city to have an abortion. And now this is happening with all the extra stress of COVID lockdowns and travel restrictions. Although it's been a year since abortion was finally decriminalised in New South Wales, these are just some of the things that people with uteruses living in regional Australia still need to think about. So we're chatting to Imogen Todd, the Young Women's Coordinator at Illawarra Women's Health Centre, about some of the challenges women in rural areas are facing now more than ever. Just a heads up that there will be discussion of domestic violence and sexual assault in this conversation. Hi Imogen, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, no worries. I'm glad to be here. Fantastic. So how have the travel restrictions and lockdown affected access to abortion in rural New South Wales? Um, So the COVID restrictions have made it even more difficult for young women in rural New South Wales to seek medical abortions. Um, There was an overall lack of clarity around whether or not terminations were considered essential for travel, as well as, you know, if you were travelling, telling police officers at borders why you are travelling could also, you know, breach confidentiality and privacy. And if you're leaving a tight-knit community while there are restrictions you may have people questioning where you're going again breaching the right to privacy and confidentiality and then on top of this uh, women seeking medical abortion they must be under nine weeks gestation so the travel restrictions during COVID made it increasingly difficult to access services in order to make that nine week cut off Um, once women are over nine weeks pregnant, they will have to undergo a surgical termination, which can be even more difficult to access. So uh, what was the process like trying to access abortion services in rural areas pre-COVID? Pre-COVID, there were already a range of challenges for young women accessing abortions, and there still definitely are. Um, Overall, there is a lack of services available. Uh, According to Mary Stokes Australia, only 0.2% of regional GPs or 5% of regional and urban GPs combined are actually trained to administer the medical termination pill, which isn't a lot. Furthermore, there's still a level of stigma and shame around abortion in rural communities as ideologies may be a little bit more conservative. We also know that um, 65% of overseas trained doctors have an objection to abortion. 
and we know that rural communities tend to have high numbers of overseas trained doctors. Mm, so, um, oh, sorry, keep going. I was, sorry, I was just going to say the travel and the cost as well were the reality for young women trying to access the services. Obviously, you would have to travel many hours or even interstate and the cost would add up as well. Absolutely. So, so what role does a shortage of resources for abortion clinics and women's health centres play? So it has a huge impact on, you know, whether or not young women can access the medical termination before that nine-week deadline, as well as whether or not they can access surgical terminations due to cost and travel. Um, you know, even in urban areas, there are services available, but they may be unable to keep up with the demand. At the Illawarra Women's Health Centre, we only have 2.5 days per month where a doctor can provide medical terminations. So sometimes due to this, we have to turn young women away, refer them to other services, which may jeopardise that nine-week cut-off. So the shortage of services, you know, makes it virtually inaccessible for much of rural and regional Australia. You're listening to Backshot on FBI Radio 94.5 FM with Swetha and Eden. We're speaking with Imogen Todd from the Illawarra Women's Healthcare Centre about abortion healthcare in rural areas during COVID. Now, Imogen, it's been a year since the New South Wales government passed a bill decriminalising abortion. What changes have you seen since then? Overall, I would probably say there hasn't been many changes. Um, there are still clearly massive barriers to accessing termination services, especially for those young women who are living in rural communities. Um, there may have been a slight improvement regarding stigma and education around abortion services, but I'm not sure that that's been the case for rural communities um, in comparison to urban. Um, decriminalisation as well may have increased the number of doctors seeking the necessary training, um, and those who were already providing that service may feel more comfortable doing so. However, these doctor, doctors are still scarcely available in rural and regional communities. Mm-hmm. So one in six women in Australia have had an abortion by their mid-30s. How are young women uniquely impacted at the moment and what are the main issues that they're facing? Young women definitely have a unique position as they are usually not as financially stable. Um, some Some young women don't have access to their own transport and young women also face more discrimination and stigma from others when they actually fall pregnant, especially if they are quite young. Um, At the centre, there's been a significant increase in termination since COVID began. We usually have an average of 15, um, sorry, 16 clients per quarter seeking termination. This year, we've had 15 in the first quarter 34 in the second and 56 in the third. So it's actually increased by 35% from the second quarter to the third, which is four times the average from last year. Um, And also 56% of these terminations were young women, the youngest being 14. Um, We know as well that in the Illawarra region specifically, there's been a 33% increase in sexual assault. There's also been a 27.3% increase in domestic and family violence in the Shell Harbour region. Therefore, we can safely assume that a not insignificant percentage of women seeking terminations have unwanted pregnancies caused by sexual assault and or reproductive coercion, which is a form of domestic violence. So there's a fear that women will perform unsafe abortions if they don't have access to these services during the pandemic. Where can young women go for help if they're struggling with this? 
there are lots of places that you can go for help um, or you can contact a lot of people who will know where to go. Um, there is a New South Wales Pregnancy Options Helpline that you can call. Um, you can talk to your local doctor about your options or your local Aboriginal Medical Health Service. Um, if you're uncomfortable doing that, you're more than welcome to contact a women's health centre like ours. Um, you can talk to a social worker at your local hospital or you can contact the Family Planning New South Wales talk line as well. Thanks so much for joining us, Imogen. No worries. Thank you. That was Imogen Todd from the Illawarra Women's Healthcare Centre talking to us about the challenges of having an abortion in rural New South Wales during the pandemic. Next up, we have Samantha Lee, a solicitor from Redfern Legal Centre, discussing the consequences of over-policing in Sydney during the pandemic. But first, we're going to play a song. Yes, this is Like That by Queen, Doja Cat, featuring Gucci Mane. See you in a couple of minutes. It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. Back chat, your alternative to talk back. Yes, indeed, you are listening to Back Chat, and we are talking about COVID fines and the over-policing of minorities. Yeah, absolutely. So, hey, has anybody else noticed that social distancing seems to have become a thing of the past, despite the fact that we're still in the centre of a deadly worldwide pandemic? You know, a Freedom of Information investigation conducted by the Sun Herald last week found that Bondi didn't even make it into the top five suburbs with the highest number of COVID fines issued during ISO despite concerns about overcrowded beaches earlier in the year. Well, and that's compared to Western Sydney suburbs like Mount Druitt and Liverpool where that were at the top of the list, prompting concerns about the over-policing of minorities in those regions. So we're joined by Samantha Lee, a solicitor with Redfern Legal Centre to discuss the situation. Thanks for joining us, Samantha. Oh, my pleasure. So, despite the high rates of infection in Bondi, Darlinghurst and Potts Point, most of the 1,427 COVID penalties issued by police during lockdown in New South Wales were handed to people in Western Sydney. So why do you think this was the case? Well, what we see happen is that those who have been policed before COVID-19 are just policed more and there are communities within Australia and New South Wales that are heavily policed and that includes people from Indigenous backgrounds. And so public health orders are meant to stop the spread of COVID but it seems like the police are just issuing COVID fines to anyone and everyone. How do you think police discretion and quotas have affected these figures? Well quotas are a really dangerous uh, scenario because it places pressure on police to meet these astounding quotas. For example, in New South Wales, police are required to search over 200,000 people. And that's an enormous amount. And what that means is that police are, don't, well, attempted not to meet what we call legal thresholds, such as reasonable suspicion. And what that means is that people may be given fines or are charged with an offence without them actually meeting these legal thresholds. So the data also showed that Aboriginal and migrant populations were more likely to be fined by police for breaking COVID restrictions. Do you think this is evidence of racial biases in police practices? Look, we know that there are racial pro- there is racial profiling when it comes to policing. There's been some really good reports, particularly by Flemington Legal, about racial profiling in Australia. And it's really important that we in community are aware that some 
cultural groups and races are more policed than others and we need to be aware that when we change laws or increase fines or, or create a new law that it's going to have a, a greater impact on the most disadvantaged already. So I'm curious, how effective are fines in reducing, in reducing the spread of COVID in these communities? Well, for most stats that you've quoted from the Sydney Morning Herald, they wouldn't have much of an impact at all because they are fining people who are in very low areas of, of the coronavirus. Uh, if you compare to the highest rate in New South Wales, for example, was around the eastern suburbs area, but uh, few to uh, few fines were handed out to those in, for example, Bondi compared to those in Mount Druitt. So I think you could say that the fines themselves, although they might be a deterrent effect on some, uh, the the impact is that it does uh, create more of a disadvantage towards those who are already vulnerable. Mm. So what can you do if you've been issued with a COVID fine and think it's because police are targeting you unfairly? Well, if you have been issued with a fine or you haven't been issued with a fine, you think police are targeting you unfairly, then you can contact Redfern Legal Centre or other community legal centres. Police are not allowed to discriminate. They are need to apply with uh, discrimination laws like any other government body. Uh, and with these COVID-19 fines, there is wide discretion on police and this means that it's up to the individual individual police officer to make these very deep and wide decisions about who and who they, who they are not going to find. Mm. Thank you very much for joining us today, Samantha. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. That was Samantha Lee, a solicitor from Redfern Legal Centre, giving us the facts on the over-policing of minority communities in Sydney. And if you need an update on what public health orders are still, you can find that on the Redfern Legal Centre's website. That's right. But don't go anywhere because it's mine and Eden's last show. Oh. So we're going to do we're going to do a quiz to commemorate our time in Backchat. I think I'm going to get roasted. Eden, Eden <laughs> get is ready. laughing at me already. <laughs> uh, remember that if you want to join in on the conversation, you can text us in on 04. 04- 09-945-945 or tweet us at BackchatFBI. That's right, we are going to go to a song right now. This is, um, if, if you've been listening to a show for the while, um, if you've been listening to the show for a while now, you know that this is one of my favourites. I'm so excited that I'm tongue-tied. This is classic. Shook by Takei Madza. Stay tuned. It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. Backchat, your alternative to talk back. So before we go today, we're going to have a bit of fun here in the studio for Swetha and I's very last episode. It's also the last episode for our fearless executive producer, Natalie Sekolovska. So we've got her on the line. Hey, Nat. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. (laughs) Not a problem. So, okay, guys, I'm going to quiz you on a few of the past shows that we've had over the years. Are you ready? I'm no, I think we're ready. You've got to be ready. Let's okay, go, here go. we go. We're going to start off, uh, Swetha, with your first ever episode on air. Um, this is how you introduce yourself. And I'm Swetha Das. And we're your new host for Backchat. But I really don't think anyone has realised that we've swapped over. Oh, yes. Well, no one in the FBI studio No, has, I'm no. outside. Someone literally oh, yeah. was like... <laughs> so outside, someone was literally like, what, Swetha? What did someone outside the studio say to you? I don't remember what they said to me, but I, I 
like I remember making jokes that I was replacing Osman because he's another brown man and <laughs> a brown woman. That, that is literally <laughs> it. So you came into the studio, apparently someone said, oh, hi there, Oz. No Directly way. to your That's, face. I must have I know. made that up. The disrespect. <laughs> the disrespect. Okay, moving on. Um, an episode that we were really proud of was when we had um, Dylan Vola here in the studio with us. So um, at the time that this episode aired... What percent of children in detention in the Northern Territory were Aboriginal? Can either of you take Ooh. a guess? Oh, it's, that's, a, it's a, that's a tricky like, one. A very extremely high number. Um, 97%? All right, I will play the grab for you now. The Northern Territory government confirms that all the children currently in detention in the Northern Territory are Aboriginal. Every single one. 100%. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Incredibly depressing. And as a follow-up question, where does that number sit now? Because we chatted to Dylan in 2018. Mm. Uh, Where do you think that number is now, either of you? I think it's probably the same, around about the same. I don't think much has changed. Yeah, I agree. So as of September 9th, that number is 99.1%. Oh, Oh, so close. Yeah, 0.9% of a difference. Uh, It's, yeah. So, we're going to move on to my very first backchat package, guys. Um, It was about flying the Aboriginal flag on top of the Harbour Bridge, which was um, a very worthy cause. So, how did Gladys Berejiklian respond when I reached out to her for comment about why the New South Wales refused, the government refused to fly the Aboriginal flag on the Sydney Harbour Bridge? What did she say? I I, I think I know this one. Yeah, go for it. I think we, we we actually have a run of, of liberals not actually responding to us at all. So that's what I'm going to say. She didn't respond at all. And here's what she said. She actually said that they did not want to take comment. So Nat, you were 100% right. <laughs> I was like, Eden, I was so impressed that you had a grab from Gladys saying, we will not talk to Ben Chat. We refuse. Yeah. All right. Uh, Swetha, we know that you're a big fan of conspiracy theories here on the show. Yes. So you had a very strongly held conspiracy theory about why the government continues to delay implementing a high-speed rail system yeah, can we talk between about Sydney this? and Melbourne. Yes, because obviously there's a lot of lobbyists going... Wait, this is not the point of the this question. This is not the point of the <laughs> okay. question. You need to All stop. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we, we know that you're very passionate about this topic, but do you remember what question elicited this response from our guest, Joey Watson, from Radio National? You know what? That grab actually isn't playing right now, but <laughs> what it was was we that he laughed radio. consistently. We love community radio. Um, <laughs> but he laughed a lot and he said, you know what? I think this is absolute fact. He was so convinced by oh, your conspiracy really? theory. What Do you remember what that conspiracy <laughs> yeah, theory the was? The theory is that, um, so fun fact for everyone here, one of the most popular... Oh, everyone's rolling their eyes. And <laughs> Let me just get through this, guys. So the, one of the most popular flight routes, you would think it's New York to LA. You would think it's Paris to New York but it is Sydney to Melbourne and they make so much money so why would they implement a high speed um, rail network when they make so much money between Sydney and Melbourne through flights do you know what you said on air Swetha you actually said you claimed that the I don't want to get sued for high speed rail yeah I'm going to say it again (laughs) this is our last show what can they do they can't fire us okay (laughs) you claimed that the high speed rail party that formed in 2014 dissolved in 2017 and you believe that party became keep Sydney open (laughs) 
That was your conspiracy theory. <laughs> yeah, and I stand by it. I will take off my shoes in the studio right now. <laughs> stand by that party. Okay, all right. So the grabs haven't worked for us. That's totally fine because we've got a lightning round. Yeah. So the first one to answer with the closest correct response. Wait. Can I add in? If um, people want to join in on the quiz, you can text in an 0409-945-945. Absolutely. But you won't get to beat us. No, of course not. Because we're not going to smash it. Yeah, I mean, you remember hosting these shows, Swether, so you should absolutely kill it. Nat, EP, Yikes. come on, you guys have got this. Okay, <laughs> number one. When were the lockout laws repealed? Nat. Yes, <laughs> Nat, go. Oh, that was so cute. Go. <laughs> Oh my god, oh my god, now I'm having like a, like a brain block and I can't actually think of when they were repealed. No, like, it's but like um, early 2020, it was like, it was like yeah, 2020, 2020 was off to a great like start. February. Oh, January yeah. 14, 2020. Pretty good, guys. You're starting well. Yeah. Okay. What right. was Michael Hing's Senate party called? Sweather. Oh, yep. <laughs> the one Asian party. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Beautiful. Of course. Okay. What does ASMR stand for? Oh, Sweather. Oh, I don't Ooh. know. Um, it's like automatic or auditory sensory. AS sensory something something that's a terrible answer you were so confident <laughs> you were, why were you so confident it is autonomous sensory meridian response what yeah, yeah interesting alright which Aussie suburb was the hottest place on the planet in January this year oh uh, I, Nat yes oh, Nat. Okay, Nat okay I'm gonna say uh, I'm, I wanna say Penrith Ding, ding, ding. You know, and I remember Yay. a fun fact. When we um, had our guest in to talk about um, measuring the temperature in Penrith, they were at a children's playground and they were touching, uh, you know, the monkey bars and they measured the temperature there and it was like 50 degrees plus. So these kids, ridiculous. if they touched the monkey bars, yeah. they'd burn their hands, but there were no signs to tell them not to. Horrible, horrible, horrible. You should all revisit our microclimates episode, which you can find on Spotify. Yeah, Little good, plug. good one. Uh, <laughs> so final question. To the nearest dollar. What is the hex debt repayment threshold amount? <laughs> Neither of you. <laughs> it's fine. It's a depressing um, topic, isn't it? Can we we can have a round it's, amount? It's, it got reduced, right? It did. Yeah. We, yes, we that was this. the episode. It's okay. The, it's in the forty thousand. Yeah. It's in the forty thousands, I think. Maybe That's like forty eight. Okay, it's $45,881. Okay. So I'm impressed. Matt, can I just say that I literally had the answers in front of me and I got them all wrong? Yeah. Oh my God, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's very you. <laughs> well done, guys. That's the end of our quiz. You have been paying attention all these years. Kind of. <laughs> oh, man. Thanks. Well, for the very last time from me saying this that's all the time we've got for the show today another, another big thanks to our producers Millie Roberts Nicole Ilya Guiva Chantel Alcuri and Sana Sheikh and to our guests Imogen Todd and Samantha Lee and another big thanks to my wonderful co-host today Eden Faithful and my fearless outgoing EP Natalie Sekolovska I just want to say I've had an amazing three years on the show. I started off as, an, as a reporter, um, then a guest host to um, the host of the show for the past two and a half years. Um, thank you to my regular co-host Shami for you know, all her support. And a big thanks to FBI Radio and the Backchat team for giving me the opportunity to tell some incredible stories from Sydney. It's been an amazing ride, and we're so grateful to all of you listening out there for your support. That's right. Thanks a lot, Mum. Uh, <laughs> we're going to leave you with a song. So, Swetha did insist on this. Oh, yes. Let me introduce it. All Eden. right. Well, <laughs> that's fine. That's, just, no, just go. I don't, I'm not on air anymore. It's okay. Guys, if you know, you know. This is <laughs> Right Here, Right Now by Fatboy Slim. Thank you so much for all your support. And have a great long weekend. See you guys. <laughs>